Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. It was clear months ago, well, four years ago, really, that nothing about the 2020 presidential election was going to be easy. Even without a pandemic, a cratering economy, millions more mail-in ballots, and everything else, Donald Trump was never going to go without a fight. It's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you. As I record this, it's the day after the election there are still millions of ballots being counted right now. And Joe Biden appears to have a slight edge, but he's not calling anything yet. It's clear that we're winning enough states to reach 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. I'm not here to declare that we've won, but I am here to report when the count is finished, we believe we will be the winners. Meanwhile, Americans on both sides are complaining or freaking out or yelling at each other on social media, mostly. But at least so far, and I don't say this lightly at all, so far they aren't shooting. So where does America go from here when all this is decided? Will that be today, tomorrow, December? What will the rest of the world do in the days and weeks to come before Whichever president wins is sworn in on January 20th. And what should Canada do to be ready for whatever comes next? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Balkan Devlin is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and a super forecaster for Good Judgment Incorporated. Hello, Balkan. Hello. My first question is based on what we've seen of the election so far, not talking about the results here, just the process. Are you more optimistic than the last time we had you on the show when we talked about uh, some pretty dangerous potential uh, outcomes? Well, I don't think we are out of the woods yet in that sense. I am more optimistic in the sense that we didn't see any major or any at all disruption of the uh, sort of voting process itself. So that's a good thing. Um, but you know, there are three at least um, states that are not clear yet. If you at Arizona and Nevada, you go up to five. Um, and, and we don't know whether the court challenges would come. And with that, what kind of protests would go? But in, in, in one sense, the process uh, of the election was smoother. Um, so that at least is out of the way. Uh, but the next couple of days will be uh, quite crucial in how, how this would uh, proceed. As you watch this, uh, what do you think about how the results we're seeing are being 
uh, interpreted and spun and et cetera, et cetera, because this is kind of the scenario that that we've all talked about for months, that that it would take days after the election for all these votes to be counted. And yet it's still it's still being declared by by President Trump and and others are saying, you know, well, stop the votes. Well, we were expecting that anyway. I mean, remember when we were talking about it and and, and writing that that uh, you know the, the the probability of this would end up in, in in a particular way, and that Trump would more likely to go to courts to to ensure that the the, the counting stops and when he's ahead. Uh, what I think is more surprising is that the um, the, the Biden uh, campaign seems to uh, get a good hold of the narrative. Uh, by getting ahead of this, you know, his, his very brief speech that they are on track without saying that, you know, I won, but, you know, given how it goes, uh, we are on track. So just stay calm and continue with the, with the world counts and so on and so forth. All suggest that they do have a good sense that how to shape the narrative moving forward is extremely important in how um, uh, this this whole recounting things, which will come, I mean, there will be court challenges, at least in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. I have no doubt that we would go there, but going to that what recounts uh, or, and the court challenges, that the narrative being shaped is that this is normal, this would take some time, we need to count this, this is nothing to do with fraud and so on and so forth, is extremely important. And, and Biden the campaign seems to be ahead of the game, shaping the narrative. I don't think at this stage today, uh, Trump campaign was successful in, uh, you know, casting a doubt on the uh, on the on the voting process. Um, so I think that is uh, that is an important development. If you're uh, on the Biden team right now or in that war room, um, what kinds of scenarios are you gaming out over the next few weeks? If I were to do that, uh, I would. First, see in 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 what um, states and what particular counties that the Trump uh, in a team would want to sue to stop you know stop votes being counted or thrown out uh, because you know they were posted after the election or they're missing this or missing that. So I try to you know think as as carefully as possible what will be the procedural ways in which. Um, the, the Trump uh, team would try to take this to the local courts, the state level, and then to the Supreme Court, hoping that um, you know he would be he would come out of um, you know ahead of this uh, by by stopping the count or, or disqualifying certain number of mail in mail in votes. So that would be the thing I would definitely focus on. Another one is that uh, what would Trump uh, you know team administration would do if those low level court challenges fail and fail quickly you know would he continue to uh, declare uh, the you know election being stolen by the democrats would he call upon his supporters to protest so on and so forth so i would go ahead and and try to see what kind of things can be done on the trump side if i was on the trump team kind of thing um and the third thing i would you know try to game out is that if if those two tactics don't work uh, what would the Trump administration do during the transition? Uh, you know, what kind of roadblocks can be thrown out there and how we might, you know, in that sense, if I was in the Biden team, uh, would uh, sort of make sure that, it, that there's not much damage during the transition. So um, those three things I would definitely, you know, try to try to game out and see what in what ways um, Trump would try to take this 
all the way to the Supreme Court and how that can be stopped. In a few minutes, uh, I'm going to get you to walk through uh, what a, a Biden presidency or a Trump re-election, if that's still possible, would mean for Canada. But if you're Canada right now um, and you're you're the liberal government, what are you thinking as you're watching this? And do you do anything or is now the time to like just shut up and wait and see? I think it's time to shut up and wait and see. Um, there is no real advantage of jumping uh, right now and, and declaring one way or the other. I think the smart way um, to do is to, you know, use typical you know, platitudes and, and vague uh, statements such as, you know, we are waiting for the election process to be complete. It is too early to talk about it. It is important that we, we respect the process, et cetera, et cetera, and hope that we, didn't, we will not end up uh, having to make a choice if this gets uh, a lot uglier. But I think that right now the time is just duck and cover and and, and whistle and, and wait until this is over. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. If the current results, as they seem now, hold up and we are looking at a Biden presidency, what changes does that mean for Canada specifically? I mean, aside obviously from hopefully a better handling of COVID nineteen, what else uh, would be impacted? Um, it, you know, depend. I mean, if if we end up having a Biden presidency, um, the one thing that will probably change uh, in a significant way is the cosmetics of it. The way sort of Biden handles international uh, affairs, including relations with allies. But in terms of the substance. Uh, of you know the things that you know Canada should care about, two two fundamental things: whether the U.S. continues to play a leading role uh, in in the international order and, and its maintenance, uh, and the second is how Biden administration will be paying attention to to free trade and and what their approach would be. I wouldn't expect, um, apart from the sort of the, the surface changes in in how these things are carried out. Um, in the fundamental dynamics, I wouldn't expect much of a change. I would still expect in the Biden administration, the United States, being more focused inwards because this polarization is not going anywhere. Um, and that would require Canada to continue to sort of the need to develop uh, our own um, more active and, and independent minded, perhaps, uh, foreign policy. And in trade, uh, you know, the people have been pointing out that the Biden uh, program would uh, include, you know, several billion, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of, you know, buy American uh, promises and so on and so forth. That's America first without the name. There will be a lot more protectionism uh, going on. So uh, maybe there won't be any, you know, Twitter fights and, you know, like the Trump did and, and you know, Canadians are treating us terribly sort of uh, rhetoric. But there will be quite a tough um, set of negotiations and, 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 and whatnot. So... Um, I think there are fundamental trends within American politics that would continue um, even under a Biden administration. Now, one thing for sure, it will be done in a more smiling way, in a more in a collegial way, perhaps, and perhaps with a bit more um, attention to what the allies are thinking and what their interests are. Uh, but if you know, if, if you're hoping that 
you know, we could go back to our, um, you know, slumber in terms of international affairs and, and think that, you know, well, the Americans will take care of it. They will maintain this open international system and we'll have complete free trade with them and we're, we're com- comfortably fine with that. Well, that's not going to happen even under a Biden administration. I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you about what happens after this. I mean, obviously, uh, Trump is still in office now. Even if he loses, he's not gone till January 20th. But if that happens, what will uh, his legacy be on American foreign policy, on America's relationships with its allies around the world? Uh, Will they shrug this off as a one-term thing? Has there been lasting damage done? What happens? Cosmetically, that will be some change, but I think the lasting impact of of Trump on international affairs um, are twofold. One, it it brought forth the realization uh, for allies of Canada, for everyone else, the, the importance and, and, and the crucial sort of uh, the core uh, play of domestic politics in American foreign policy. It is extremely important to understand the domestic um, dynamics, to understand and make sense of where American foreign behavior could go. So that's number one. And we, we should definitely realize that there are these deep fractures uh, within the American um, society that are not going to necessarily healed uh, over the next four years. And that would continue to shape American American behavior abroad. And the second thing I think the Trump administration's legacy uh, would be the sort of the dispelling of, of the myth um, that uh, the United States would always continue to be the public goods provider uh, for the West. I think not only for Canada, but for our European allies and our allies in, in East Asia, that became quite obvious that um, in, not always American national interests would overlap with the allies' interests. And, and Americans will not necessarily continue to provide the public goods that we take for granted, including this open, uh, free international trading system, a stable international order, et cetera, et cetera. And regardless of who the, the president is, that that realization, that over-reliance on, on the United States solely as a hegemon to provide these public goods are, you know, are, are contrary to our interests. And then we need to be actually playing a bigger role um, in maintaining the system that we actually benefit as well. So I would say those two are the primary, um, primary legacies uh, coming out of the Trump administration, that domestic politics are extremely important and there is a depolarization that is going on. Uh, within the American society, that's not going to go away uh, in the in in the in the near future. And the second, that you know, we need to play a big role in maintaining an international order that we actually benefit from, and that the American um, public good providing uh, is not necessarily coming back that it was since say 1990s. If you're Canada, how do you? try to achieve both those things, which is, you know, resuming uh, cosmetic relationships and working with the Biden administration potentially, um, while also uh, planning for a future uh, with far less reliance on our neighbors to the South? Well, that's the hard question. And, uh, but I think, uh, I mean, you know, in, in some sense, geography is destiny. So, you know, United States would continue to be our most important relationship, our relationship with the U.S., would continue to be the most important one. So we, that's why I think it's important 
to figure out uh, mechanisms in which we can work whoever is in White House. And you know, having uh, someone like Biden that is more you know, favorably predisposed towards Canada, at least uh, on the surface, um, makes those things easier. So we will continue to do that. And perhaps trying to carve out uh, some kind of bilateral um, mechanism with the Americans in this more protectionist and inward-looking era for, for the United States. So I think in that sense, we have some advantages that we can sort of squeeze in there uh, that may not be possible in a multilateral setting. And the other one is that how can we, you know, broaden our um, set of connections across across the board from Europe to Indo-Pacific? And I think we need to take that into account. Uh, which countries we can work uh, much closely outside uh, sort of a trilateral relationship, so uh, with with U.S. being involved. So we need to develop a much closer relations with countries like Japan or South Korea or Taiwan. We need to reach out to our European allies more and talk with not only the Brits, but also the Germans and the and the Scandinavians um, and see how we can coordinate on policies where the U.S. show no interest or may, may not be playing a sufficiently active role, but are important to us. For example, climate change and other places. So I think we need to uh, you know, talk to our other allies without Americans being present uh, or not necessarily waiting them to come to the table. And this should go through you know, all the way from Japan um, to Germany and the Baltic states. Let me ask you about the other side of the coin now. You know, it still is uh, officially too close to call. As you mentioned off the top, um, there will probably be some court challenges in various states. At what point, uh, as that drags on, um, because as you know, it could be it could be weeks, uh, it could be into December, even if these things go uh, to a high level of the courts. At what point then um, does the international community? Maybe not step in, but but begin to comment on on what's happening in America, or do they just have to let the whole thing sort itself out and deal with whatever the realities are? I mean, I think the the smart thing would be to let the process sort it out itself, and then deal with whatever comes out, uh, for the simple reason that international community basically doesn't have much leverage, uh, or at all any leverage in this particular process. Um, there is no way in which uh, you know pressures from allies would sway you know the domestic political or or the or the judicial process. So trying to sort of uh, interfere in that process or try to sort of weigh in in that process, it's just gonna you know create bad blood if you end up in the being in the wrong side of things. So you know talking without having leverage um, is 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 basically just talking, and if you end up doing the wrong talk, you will you will you will get harmed with that if you end up on the wrong side of things. So I think allies would probably privately urge um, the respect for the for the process and all that kind of thing, but publicly should um, stay as mum as as possible without necessarily you know showing that that we are trying to sort of influence the outcome of that uh, of that of the, you know, the court process if it goes there. What happens if Trump takes this election to the courts and wins uh, a highly contested legal fight. That's one of the scenarios that me and you discussed last time you were on this, and it could get really messy. And if that happens, and if the courts hand it to him, what does that do to America's reputation in the world and, and the legitimacy of the American electoral process if this goes all the way to the Supreme Court and then the newly appointed judge rules in Trump's favor? 
I think that's uh, you know for for us and uh, for for the world that's sort of a, a process an outcome that is determined by a very contentious and highly controversial uh, you know judicial process will be the worst to be honest I would rather have a clean a winner through the regular electoral process that does not include the courts whether it's Biden or Trump over to a process that involves heavily involves the court and the Supreme Court perhaps uh, that results uh, with, with a particular winner that will not be seen as a legitimate by almost half of the population. Uh, it will be terrible for, uh, I think, American uh, standing in international uh, system. I think it will be terrible um, for the continuing polarization within the, uh, within the United States. Frankly, ensuring that half of the population, the losing side, do not see the incumbent president uh, as, as legitimate because they, they would think that their votes were stolen. And this would be true if, if it is Biden or if it is Trump that is declared winner. And I think that paralysis uh, would have significant impact in how and, and to what degree the president um, can act in the international system or international uh, politics and can, can focus on those problems. And, and the allies would go and look at it, well, you know, uh, this, is, this is highly controversial. We don't really know whether the, the president has, you know, popular legitimacy and all that stuff. So that would actually started to worry the allies and, and how they relate to the United States. So, yes, I, I think that would, be, that would lead to a big sort of hit on American uh, prestige and standing in the world. But primarily it would lead to such a, a political crisis uh, a legitimacy crisis within the country uh, that th- th- such a turmoil would go on until the next election. I'm not sure what that would look like. I guess we'll find out in the coming days and weeks and hopefully not months. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, as a super forecaster, were you surprised to see the difference between the polls that were pointing to a quite possible Biden landslide and the results we're getting? Um, to be frank, right before the election, I put uh, Biden winning 75% and Trump winning 25%. I was suspicious uh, of the sort of the overconfidence in both as, a, as my fellow super forecasters that put, you know, Biden win uh, for about 87% or something. I thought they were actually missing um, some of the dynamics that we saw today. But um, again, to be completely honest, I was not expecting uh, the results to be that close uh, in some of the states. I mean, I was expecting the Florida will be very close, but that actually, you know, Trump did win with a sizable margin, I would say, over there, or Ohio, for that matter. So I, I think I was a bit under, you know, uh, undervaluing uh, my own skepticism of the process, and I should have paid more attention to, uh, in my case, um, those possible problems and the correlation of errors across the media and the polling to be more confident in my assessment that Trump uh, has a higher chance. Finally, based on just uh, what we know right now, again, early uh, Wednesday afternoon, how worried are you about the weeks and months to come before January? I think uh, if we can sort of sort this out in the next three days, and then that if 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 the initial court challenges fails, then you know we are sort of relatively confident that this will be sorted out. If it doesn't, 
And if, if those core challenges are launched and successful in proceeding within the system, then I think it's a, it's a coin toss. And, and this could stretch out all the way to Supreme Court. And I don't know whether then, when that will be um, decided. Um, so I think the, the next, until Friday, is the most sort of um, crucial time to see whether this would stretch out for several weeks or whether we will have a clear result by um, early next week. Oh, boy. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll be waiting and watching and, uh, you know, stress eating. Thank you so much, Balkan, for your time today. Uh, pleasure to be here. Balkan Devlin of the McDonald Laurier Institute and Good Judgment Incorporated. That was The Big Story. If you need more, we're at thebigstorypodcast.ca. We are on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. We are, of course, in your podcast player, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Doesn't matter. Pick one. We're there. You can also email us, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. Thanks for listening. Be patient. Take deep breaths. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.